Welcome to Just Julie. I am Julie, and I want you to know how thankful I am that you chose to join me today. And now, here is today's episode. Today's podcast is a serious discussion about a serious problem that many times has been overlooked, not only in this country, but other ones all over the globe. What you're going to hear today is some action that is starting to ramp up regarding child to parent violent abuse. Please join me. Hello, Tabitha. Welcome to the Just Julie podcast. How are you today? I'm well, Julie. How are you? I'm doing great. It is pouring rain after oh, last wow. week of pouring snow. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Michigan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, you it does that in Michigan too? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it is so good to have you. I You've become a new friend to me. We connected because of your work and my work and the kind of how they are interchangeable. And it's just been such a blessing to get to know you and talk to you more. And so I wanted the people out there in the audience to learn more about the kind of work you do and the passion you have for your work. It's incredible. So, yeah. So what brought you to this work that, you know, at this time in your career, kind of give us a little history of, of what you do. Well, what brought me to this? You know how they tell you to leave the job at the job? <laughs> yeah. Well, I did not pass that class. Oh, you did? Oh. I did not. I worry so much about the parents that I support. So I work at a children's mental health agency here in Detroit and as a parent support partner. Mm -hmm. So I meet every week with the parents and I've drawn a professional bond with them and a rapport with them. And, you know, we have deeply personal conversations sometimes and my heart is just there, I'm just vested in them. And I found myself in the evenings and on the weekends researching ways of that I can support these families. And when I didn't find anything, that's how I started Parent Real Talk. I see. Okay. And Parent Real Talk, how do people find that? Is that is that part of a, a web page? I know you have a Facebook page for that. Yes, I do have a website, parentrealtalk.com, but I am mostly on in the Facebook page and the Instagram page is mostly updated. Perfect. And I am Let's Get Real with Parent Talk on both of those platforms. Okay. So what you're saying, you're the advocate for a parent who is being abused by a child. Is that what you're saying? I am saying that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really unknown, but it's a global concern. Yes, it is a global concern. I first found out about that through something I'd researched, and they're in the, in the United Kingdom. And my thought was, how come we don't have this here in this country that we say, is the most educated and the most wealthy and has all the things in place. Why is it it here? I, and 
And, yes. And then you're seeing it. You're working with it. So in all of that, where did the systems experience this breakdown that seems to be in such a such repair? Well, let me say this first. Yes. It has been around for decades now. So I was doing research. I was able to find a couple of things. One, the Department of Justice Office of Juvenile um, Justice and Delinquency Programs. Mm-hmm. In 2008, they had they they released a bulletin off of data from 2004. So that's 20 years ago. Yes, and and then the the re- bulletin revealed that 51 percent of juveniles of the domestic offenders victimized a parent, and 24 percent victimized siblings. And mm-hmm. they also revealed in the report that. The, it increased steadily with every age group. So they had the, I guess, the 7 to 11 age group. And then from 12 to 17, it continued to increase at a significant rate. So in 2004, they were seeing the concerns. In 2017, Florida actually did introduce and pass Senate Bill 1694, I believe. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, when I go onto the website, I don't see anything to support those families. So that was somewhat of, of a breakdown, I believe. But to answer your question, hands down, I think failure to see the value in the parent voice is where the breakdown has started and what needs to be repaired. Yeah. And you know, I know you understand this. It is so hard to share that your child has abused you because most people when you share that thinking that you're sharing information that someone will believe you Mm -hmm. they look at you like seriously that really happened or what did you do to provoke it (laughs) and so when you know that's the audience that you're typically going to get you tend to be silent until you're trained yes Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. Right. And, you know, and as much as we talk about inclusion and systems of care, the family system is excluded from the, the decision-making processes. And when you think about these systems that's supposed to be caring for children, you have the educational system that's in their crisis, the juvenile justice system having their own crisis, And what you'll find is that all of these systems are going through their crises. And then you have the parent at the home who's Mm -hmm. trying to be the therapist, the educator, the delinquency (laughs) officer, all at the same time. And what they fail to take the value in is the parents are the ones who are noticing and reporting the behaviors early. The parents are the ones who are observing their child daily And the parents are the ones who are recognizing when the behaviors are escalating. And I think that's where the the breakdown is is happening. Yes, I agree completely. I don't know what it is about believing a child that we all want to believe a child because a, a child usually is going to speak their heart and what they're experiencing. However, we have to remember that any child who has gone through any kind of 
trauma, complex trauma, okay. is going to have perhaps the ability to say things that aren't true in order to get some kind of need met. Yes. When that happens, then the parent becomes the one who's on the defense trying to to show. And most of the time, parents are documenting all of this stuff, all of that, and which I'm so glad. I always tell parents who are dealing with things like this, you have to document, even if you have to call in law enforcement that's a paper trail in their system. Yes. You know, one of the things when I've worked with insurance companies, even with my own situation, you know, insurance companies have layers too, and they don't communicate with each other. So if we think that all these government systems are all kind of like having this kumbaya around the table. <laughs> it's not happening. It's it not happening. It's not happening internally within the one department. Like, you know, it's not happening inter externally. Yeah, I know. I know. It's not happening in the cubicle next to you. Not at all. It's not. <laughs> so I want to dig a little deeper here. Mm -hmm. So are there statistics that are showing the child to a parent abuse that in bio homes versus adoptive foster homes? Is, is that being looked at as well? That's a good question. If it is, I'm not privy to that information. The data that I collect comes from where the state police reports to the FBI. Okay. And that data that's collected, it's called the victim to offender relationships. So there is the parent, step parent, grandparent, sibling, and step sibling. There is an other category. And that category does have a significant amount of victims, but I'm not sure where foster adoptive fall. I don't know if they're under other or under parent. I'm not sure. Hmm. So when there is a call made to Department of Children's Services, Child Protective Services, and the social worker walks into that home, they're going to hopefully learn the dynamics going on in that home, which I would think would include how the origin of the child, how they came into the home, biologically adopted, fostered, mm -hmm. which then, in my opinion, would give a much clearer breakdown of where we are missing it in education of adoptive parents, foster parents. What do you think? I would hope that that happens, but it does not appear that that's happening. Yeah. It's, I, I don't think that People are looking at it through the lens of a family system or the family. I think that agencies who are supporting children and providing services to children are only looking at it through the lens of that child. I agree. Which is awesome because that child is vulnerable and needs to be protected. Sure. But it's more to it. That child is more than just an individual inside of the family. Mm -hmm. And so when the social worker walks into the home, they may not necessarily be aware of any diagnoses of the child. They're just looking at the behaviors that caused the reason to make the call in the first place. Would you kind of say that's true? I would say that. And then I believe their response is not a family response okay. of the care of the family 
from what I've been getting from families, it's more so a response centered around the child. Gotcha. That makes sense. That makes sense. So a child could report something to a teacher or any adult they come in contact with. And that adult, if they are specifically believing the child without looking into the family of the child, Mm -hmm. then it automatically begins with an investigation that the parents are guilty. And mind you, that same CPS worker could have possibly been out to the home six and seven times. Yes. Over the same issue. And at what point? I mean, to me, that would be a waste of resources and manpower. And I'm not saying that it does not need to be looked into. Exactly. But to say that we're going to go out to the same home six and seven times off of the child that we know have issues, I believe something needs to be addressed and the policy and procedures need to be revisited. Absolutely. I think, I mean, like what you were saying, there is a a waste of services Mm -hmm. and, and also there's not being anything done for the child at this point to help find out what's going on here. Let's, Let's see how we can help you. What do we have to offer? What do we have to offer parents? All of the things. But you know what, Tabitha? Here's the thing. In my opinion, this is going to take time. It's going to take time when you come into a home and you sit with all these people and you finally start connecting all the dots. Now you've got an even bigger case. And it's like, oh my goodness. Now I've got even more I've got to deal with. It's a lot easier to keep it kind of uh, funneled mm-hmm. and it, with the vision of we're just going to talk with this child here. I don't know. I just think there's got to be more of that look of, of the family and the family input. But once again, if family, if parents, if mom and dad mm-hmm. have been getting this pushback when they tell their story, they may not tell it anymore. They may not tell it anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah. They may not tell it anymore, just like victims of intimate partner violence. Yes. Yes. It's like, why bother? Yeah. Well, okay. So if you had a magic wand to repair the system mm-hmm. with this problem, where would you start? Where would I start? Well, besides interventions for siblings and the child, I think the most important thing for these families, they need a resilient parent that feels valued and heard. Mm -hmm. And I think these parents should be provided free of charge, resiliency informed trainings and safety care trainings. I believe that's a must. I think that all states should create a task force to research the prevalence and recommend proper responses and interventions. Mm -hmm. I think there should be a massive campaign ran through the public health department to raise awareness to the issue. And then community mental health. Oh my goodness, Julie, Mm -hmm. everything is not trauma. And I think the CMHs need to be careful with making parents take trauma-informed and parent management trainings as their automatic go-to for these particular families. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I do know that there are some parents that need to be upskilled and in skills. I, I understand that 
but I think parent management training and trauma-informed may not be the best intervention for these particular families, and I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. So if for trauma-informed, if there is a teen that enters a facility and brandishes a weapon, victims are all offered supports, therapy, resources, and even restitution sometimes. They are offered um, trauma-informed and PTSD on how it impacts themselves. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you what they're not offered. They're not mandated to take a trauma-informed class to understand why that child behaved the way that the child did. I see. Which is what our CPBA parents, that's happening to them. And like, how does that help them when they're in the throes of the situation? Yes. You know, and a parent being trained on trauma, how does that help? the sibling who has been beat and battered. Mm -hmm. While the parent is tending to the child in a neutral tone, redirecting, reinforcing, using all of those skills that they were taught, who's tending to the sibling in the moment? That's a big who, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? And then when we think about it, if our actions matter and behavior is learned, what is that saying to the sibling? What is the sibling learning? I'm not as important as he is. Yeah. That, that punch or that slap wasn't that bad. Go wipe your nosebleed. Mm -hmm. And when we really look at it, we wonder why we have women staying in domestic violence situations until death. Because they learned it when they were a child, that they had to love through the abuser being upset. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think some things just need to be reassessed, Julie. I really do. And then when we think about parent management as a tool for these families, as a response, I really question the efficacy with this population. And mind you, I love parent management. I definitely think it's it's useful. But for this population, I question that when you have a, a child with these particular behaviors. And there is a parent who's tiptoeing around disciplining, modifying their demands or choosing their battles. I'm afraid we're gonna find ourselves as a system strengthening negative behaviors and empowering that child. And we're gonna find ourselves with a, a child who can't interact with the community because they are entitled, they're disrespectful, they're confrontational. And when they get into the community, they're not gonna be able to cope when the community challenged them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, you said so much right there. I'm thinking about there are times in our own situation, my own situation where you know we're, we're telling our kids, look, when you go out here as an 18 year old and you continue this behavior, that the law enforcement doesn't care they doesn't that care. you have been X, Y, and Z place or had all these things happen to you. They aren't going to care. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that they're just mean people. I'm saying right. this is not how it works. And that's not work. life. It's not yeah. life. And I understand why parents are walking on eggshells because you don't want the behaviors to escalate. You want everything to stay calm. 
and Julie, I'm not blaming the, the parents at all. They have to survive. And I understand that. Yes. But we as a system, what we're telling parents to do, is that really helpful to the child once they get out of the home? Right. Right. Like, like society is not going to walk around on eggshells. Oh, no. No, they're not. And neither neither is the prison system. Not at all. No, they're not. not and all. I tell you, to your point about siblings, this is why I think there has to be a lot of care and concern mm-hmm. when placing children, adoptive children, into families where there's several siblings and making sure, I'm a big one for birth order, and I feel like when that's taken away from a biological child, there's that shift there is not always healthy mentally or emotionally, mm-hmm. but also I feel like we don't talk enough about this particular event in the life of a family and how it can affect the children that are already there. Already there. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. Yes. When you're mixing all of these people together and all these different personalities, and when you think about the child that's coming into the home, that child is already coming in with adverse experiences. Yes. So there's already an ace there. There it is. doesn't even include what went on in the home that they came from. Just that they were removed from the family. Now they're being placed into an environment where they're, they see other children who were loved properly. Right. I mean, as children, jealousy comes in. Sure. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. I definitely think it needs to be explored. Right. I agree. I so agree with you. So I guess my question is, are there resources that that are, are missing for these families? I mean, I'm already thinking of some off the top of my head, but what would you say are the resources that are absolutely needed and are not there at this point? Well, first, I think this is really so much more than resources. Mm-hmm. This is a human and civil rights issue. It really is. And I don't know what amendment it is, but I do know under the Equal Protection Clause, parents, caregivers, and siblings have a right to be equally protected the same as a child who's abused, an elder who's abused, teens and intimate partners. They have a right to be protected the same as them. And I could be interpreting the law wrong. I'm not a lawyer, so I could be interpreting it wrong. But we have juveniles who are already in the system abusing their parent. They're violating their probation because they're still abusing said parent. And the parents are afraid to speak up during court to the judge and probation officer because the court proceeding is a virtual court and a child is sitting right next to them. You know, and I mean, am I missing something here? I I just... I don't understand. And I think my fear is that we have parents who are incarcerated for defending themselves mm-hmm. from a child who was abusing them. Right. Because we don't recognize children as abusers. Right. And then there's an innocent person whose freedom has been taken away. And the thought of that is just heartbreaking to me. It is. But to answer your question, There should be, and this is more so support that can turn into a resource 
there should be mandated yearly training on CPVA, especially to the professions that engage with children. Yes, absolutely. Mandated yearly training. And another resource that should be offered through Juvenile Justice Department of Education and Community Mental Health, they must provide free safety care and resiliency informed training to these parents because they are the ones who are getting the reports from parents first. Mm -hmm. And then I think the last one to me, which is also just as important, could be the most important, is that this must be a mandated reporting issue. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes. Mandated reporting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Because we're all about that with, like, camps, Mm -hmm. uh, schools, our child tells you something's happening, then then whoever the adult is that is in charge in whatever capacity, they are mandated per that state to report it. And you know, when a woman goes into a health facility and there are certain signs that the healthcare worker sees, they are mandated where they have to question and screen for domestic violence. Okay. We should have that if the same for children abusing their parents. And I will tell you, I supported a parent who, um, she didn't see it as abuse, but her son got so upset with her that he hit her till it broke her, her arm. And she had to go into the facility. She was not screened for it because she told them, my son got upset and this happened. Uh-huh. What is that thing into the child? Well, and, and so there was no more question as to, well, we need to report this. Oh, so yeah. your son's having a bad day. There was no more question. No one talked to the child. There wasn't an, an, an open situation. And mind you, I am not pushing this or advocating for this to be an issue where the child goes into the system. That's not what I'm saying. But I do believe that there needs to be monitoring and tracking of these children. Yes, yes. Well, at one instance, when we had law enforcement here at our house with a problem we're having, I asked the officer, I said, what else has to happen here before I can get somebody to notice we have a problem? Mm-hmm. And he said to me, you're going to have to be hurt first. Mm-hmm. I said, so you mean that I need to have been punched? I need to have been bitten. I need to have something physically wrong here. And then we'll take action. And he said, right. Wow. And go back to what I said with equal protection. We don't wait for an elder to be abused. Right. And we don't wait for a child to be abused. To me, that has to be some form of a human or civil rights issue. I agree. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Tell me again, what does CPBA stand for? child to parent violence and abuse. Uh And that's the term that we use here in the United States. When you go globally, it can be labeled differently, really dependent on where you are. It's the child to parent abuse in the United Kingdom. I believe Spain label it as child to parent violence. And then in Australia, it's adolescent to parent violence and abuse. So it can be labeled differently depending on where you are. But CPBA is child to parent violence and abuse. 
Okay. So now it's something we're talking about with legislation, and I have been able and privileged to listen to a discussion that you were involved with legislatively. So where do we begin? Where do we start getting this, raising this awareness and getting it into the hands of those who can actually execute what's needing to be done? I think that as citizens and advocates, I think that it would be really good if you visited the local town hall meetings or the coffee and chat and to bring this issue up during the open discussion and do follow-up emails and phone calls. That has been very helpful for me. I went to of the largest counties here in Michigan, and they provided me with a proclamation and a resolution recognizing it as a public concern. Okay. So I think just going to them and raising the issue with them would at least put it on their radar. And I have information, Julie, that I can definitely send to you that I had pulled here in Michigan. And with mm-hmm. me giving that to them, then they had data. They had something that they can look at and then, you know, explore and look into. And I was able to get the proclamation, the resolution, and they do recognize October 14th as Child to Parent Violence and Awareness Day here in Michigan. Oh, wow. And well, that's in, in, the in Wayne County and Wayne County and in Oakland County. Yes. From the work that I've done. Oh, that is amazing. I'm, I'm just so happy to to have someone else to, to talk with about this and, and help figure out what what to do, because mm-hmm. a parent like myself and the parents that I talk to a lot and represent in the Attached Families, Inc., they are hands in the air. I don't know what to do. And when you see comments of parents saying, what kind of camera did you use? What kind of lock did you use on the refrigerator? What did they kill your cat? How many times do you get hit before you say something? And you hear this kind of stuff. And this is just not exaggerated things. These things are, are happening and people are needing protection, but the system has failed in this particular instance, and we've got to do something different for these parents who, in the situation of adoption or fostering, you've got parents who have done this out of their hearts and they're wanting to help. Mm -hmm. Now they're in a situation where they're starting to be bitter about what's happened. Their children are being affected. Their marriages are being affected. Mm -hmm. Their own health is being affected. And there's no place to go to. There's no place to go to. And, you know, there is no reason why we are not addressing this on a national level. And I'll give you an example. And you may want to, I'll connect you with uh, Sergeant Rasul Friedland. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I work closely together. And he worked on, there's an international case, and it's called the Suitcase Killer, mm-hmm. where in Chicago, there was a family, the Mack family. Sheila was the mom. Heather was the daughter. Heather started, I believe, somewhere around the age of 12 or 13, physically abusing and emotionally abusing her mother. And the Oak Park, Illinois Police Department responded to their home somewhere in upwards of the 20, 30 times 
Oh my. And mm-hmm. Out of all those times, Rasul, out of the five times that Heather was arrested, he arrested her four out of the five times. So he was closely connected to the family. He knew the family. He knew Heather. And sat on a family vacation. Heather and her boyfriend killed her mother and stuffed her in a suitcase in Mm -hmm. Bali, Indonesia. And so it's an international case. Okay. And so there is evidence there. Like, Mm -hmm. it's no reason why we should not be addressing this on a national level, especially when the United Kingdom is already working at this issue. They've already addressed it as law. They're already providing support and resources. I am connected to Michelle Johns of PEGS in the United Kingdom. She's amazing. She's awesome. I really, she is one of the few people behind me that have really supported me and pushed me into this because I do feel like I'm alone. Yes. So her and I talk quite often and she tells me she's supporting United States citizens in the United Kingdom because there are no supports here. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, Mom. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is going to take some people who have been there, done that, mm-hmm. understand the need for it to roll up their sleeves and say, okay, we're going to be on board and we're going to start going to these town hall meetings. Yeah. We're going to start going wherever. If it, Do they need to contact their state representatives somehow, any senators or anything like that to get more awareness, just, just to talk about it? I think just talking, we just don't talk about stuff like this. Just talking about it. And, you know, just raising the awareness that the United Kingdom is, has recognized this issue, that Florida did make an attempt to recognize the issue that an organization in Michigan is addressing this issue. And just putting that before them, I think it would at least, it would set the the track for them to continue and explore in that state. Okay. Okay. Wow. Tabitha, you have just been just an incredible wealth of information today and have really stirred my heart. And I'll guarantee you this conversation is going to stir the hearts of more people who have been affected by this in some way, shape, or form, whether it's them, they themselves directly, or they've watched it from just being an extended family member. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just want to thank you. And so what I'm going to do when this podcast comes out, I'm going to make sure I have extra links for people to go to so that there's, there's nothing there that they can say, where do I go? It's going to be there. So they, so they have something to grab hold on to, because I, I think we can talk about it, but we need to have something to offer. Okay. Um, I will yeah. send to you, I will send to you, I'm trying to get the media. So in the United Kingdom, if you go onto YouTube, they address it quite often in their media and in their news. And I have been trying to connect with the news here. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm praying that all digits crossed, fingers, toes, everything, <laughs> um, that there will be some follow through. But I will email you an email that I have put together with all of the information on national, federal, and I'll send that to you that so you can put it in into the Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. 
Okay. All right. Thank you again, Tabitha. And you and I are going to be connected here because we've got a lot of things that, that we can share and talk. And, and I, I want to help in any way I can to help this become more real in our country. And mm-hmm. I just appreciate that. And to my audience, please, please share this. Share this with somebody you know who is going through this because this is how it starts. This is where we get the word out. And I'm in this podcast is heard in lots of countries. And so we are not just here in the United States. We get heard in several different countries. So take the podcast today, share it. And remember, as I always say at the end of my podcast, remember to be kind. This podcast is brought to you by The Still Waters. The Still Waters is a service to provide counseling when you don't know what to do or how to make it through those difficult days. Buried beneath a lifetime of heartache and broken, sometimes help is needed to find the real you, the genuine you created by God. Through The Still Waters, you can find the life tools that lead to peace and healing and happiness. Go to the website, stillwaterslife.com, and take the first step toward rising above and finding a better life, stillwaterslife.com. Visit the website today, stillwaterslife.com.